Indianapolis scoring big. Once again hosting the world's largest tabletop gaming competition. Why Gen Con is one of the key drivers in putting the Circle City squarely back on track to score tourism dollars. Plus, Notre Dame's growing role in biomedicine. Details on the university's new focus on precision medicine and its potential to revolutionize healthcare. And a classic made in Indiana movie scene. All right, lift it up, lift it up. Here's what we're going to do. The state's new game plan to get more films like Hoosiers to set up production in Indiana. From Indianapolis, with an eye on every corner of Indiana. This is IBJ Media's Inside Indiana Business with Gary Dick. Presented by Ice Miller and Indiana University. Hello and welcome to Inside Indiana Business. I'm Gary Dick. Very pleased to welcome you to the inaugural broadcast on our new flagship station, CBS4, here in Indianapolis. Very excited about this new partnership with CBS4 and Fox 59 and extending our brand and reach throughout the state of Indiana. Here's what's making news now around the state this week. After a rough time during the COVID-19 pandemic, it looks like Indiana hotels are getting back in shape. A new study shows hotel room revenue and state and local tax revenues projected to exceed 2019 levels by the end of this year, much earlier than predicted. In Howard County, the Kokomo casting plant will receive more than $14 million from global auto giant Stellantis to convert existing die-cast machines and cells for a new engine. The investment comes just two months after the automaker announced a blockbuster $2.5 billion deal in Kokomo with plans for 1,400 jobs. And Hard Truth Distilling Company says it expects to see their brands in 28 states by next year and is adding on to operations in Brown County. Construction underway on a second rack house there that will double the size of its current warehouse space and help increase production by more than 800%. Onto our top story now, the convention and tourism sector decimated by the pandemic, but there are definite signs the industry, so important to the state's economy, is back. Visit Indy says last year, Indianapolis hosted more in-person events than any city in the country. And to date this year, Indy has the highest downtown hotel occupancy in the entire country for convention business. The news comes as Gen Con, one of the world's largest and longest running tabletop gaming conventions, returns to Indy. And with more on the numbers, what they mean, I'm pleased as always to be joined by Visit Indy Senior Vice President, Chris Gall. And Chris, uh, welcome. I know you're above the exhibit halls in the convention center. We talk about Gen Con. Gen Con well underway uh, in the background uh, here. Thanks for joining us. This Gen Con convention continues to be a big, uh, a big driver for Indianapolis. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Gary. And behind me, the exhibit halls are teeming with activity. The Gen Con has been here since 2003, initially 20,000 attendees. And this year, we're expecting 65,000. And every square inch of the Indiana Convention Center being utilized, Lucas Oil Stadium being utilized. And so we're, we're so happy to welcome back this time-tested group to the capital city. Hey, I want to ask you before we get to the overall numbers, uh, David Hoppe, the CEO of Gen Con, had a statement this week uh, about the uh, abortion bill being debated at the Indiana State House in special session, expressing concern about the potential outcome there and his commitment to Indianapolis. Here's what he had to say. Passage of Senate Bill 1 will have an impact on our stakeholders and attendees and will make it more difficult for us to remain committed to Indiana as our long-term annual home. 
Gen Con certainly uh, out front on the RIFRA uh, uh, controversy several years ago. Your reaction to, to that statement from uh, Gen Con CEO? Well, we know in the last few weeks, Gary, there's been a handful of conventions and events eyeing Indianapolis and what's happening at the General Assembly, Gen Con being at the top of that list. So the first to go public with their distaste in what's happening. And so, you know, Visit Indy, we're, we've been around for 100 years. We're a nonprofit who cares about driving tourism forward. And so anytime there's an issue or a convention or event expresses concern, we take note and notice. And so we've helped communicate their position over to the General Assembly in a very meaningful way. And, and we know this is a very divisive issue, yet at the end of the day, tourism is a big part of our economy. And so uh, yep. we were uh, part of that team to, to help to, uh, put that over to the, the state house. Hey, Chris, I want to talk about the recovery. Let's go back. How devastating were things in the convention and, and tourism industry, in particular for Indianapolis uh, during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic? You know, devastating is the word, Gary. Uh, tourism globally, one of the hardest hit business segments at the at the height of the pandemic, we lost more than five hundred million dollars worth of convention business. Hotels virtually empty, and about forty percent of our tourism workforce uh, no longer able to to earn a paycheck. And so, uh, it was devastating. Now, as you mentioned, on top of the show in twenty twenty one, we were proud. No other city in the nation hosted more live in person events and conventions than Indianapolis, Indiana, 255 to be precise, here at the convention center in Lucas Oil Stadium. And that helped pa create a pathway for us to, to be stronger and quicker to recover than most major cities. Hey, quickly, what's really driving this? You know, Indianapolis mostly and Indiana hosted the entirety, of course, of March Madness last year, which was an incredible feat. What, what really is behind this, this, this early recovery? Great question. Two things. Early on, the Capital Improvement Board invested $7 million in new health and safety upgrades into this building, the convention center. That gave meeting and, and event organizers confidence to start convening safely. The other is March Madness in totality. The NCAA's confidence in Indianapolis, the Indiana Sports Corps and city and state government forging ahead. That put all eyes on Indianapolis and validated this idea that we could safely host complex events during a pandemic. That has helped us yeah. recover. And initially we thought 2024 we'd be fully recovered. Yet, because of those events, because of our traction, because of events like Gen Con, we're pacing to probably early in 23 be 100% recovered, if not by the end of this year, when you look at all tourism yeah. metrics. Hey, hey, very quick, we're out of time, Chris. I, I know the, uh, the hotel project on Pan Am Plaza moving forward, but I have to ask you very quickly, a lot of speculation about what's next. Will Indianapolis go after the NFL draft? You know what? Draft or combine, premier events. We've got a longstanding relationship with the NFL, and I think you'll see Indianapolis be competitive in both fronts. All right. Chris Gall, as always, from Visit Indy. Thanks for joining us. Great perspective. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Well, coming up next, lights, camera, incentives, what the state is doing to get back into the lucrative game of filmmaking, plus a sit down with another guy in a league of his own. You take anyone's pay. You give it to them 17 weeks in a row, and then you just turn that faucet off for 35 weeks, you're going to have some challenges. You know him as Pete the Planner. He talks about challenges NFL players face with managing their money and much more when it comes to finances. He's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. You can check it out starting Monday at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. 
An epic scene from the classic made in the Indiana film Hoosiers. Coach Norman Dale with the pregame pep talk before sending his small town Hickory Huskers out to win a state championship. Well, that was 1986, and only a handful of film and media production companies have wanted to play ball in Indiana since then. For more on why that dynamic uh, could shift, pleased to be joined now by the man who wrote Hoosiers, Bloomington-based screenwriter and film producer, Angelo Pizzo. And Angelo, is always uh, great to see you. Nice to see you. Thank you. Uh, you've been very passionate about this, this issue. You and others have worked very hard to get this tax credit, which could be up to 30 uh, percent. The Indiana Economic Development Corporation beginning to accept applications uh, this week. Uh, economic impact is part of it. But as you and I were talking off camera, you really saw a lot of talent leaving the state without this tax incentive in place. Yes, I became very aware of that when I would talk, uh, give talks or lectures to uh, media school classes. And when I would ask these kids what their plans were, they were always to leave the state to find employment simply because there wasn't any work here. And, and what, what saddened me was there are a lot of these students or some of them at least uh, wanted to stay here because they liked living in the Midwest. They liked living in Indiana in particular. Um, they would go to Atlanta, they would go to Chicago, they would go to Los Angeles. But, uh, you know, here we are, uh, our public institutions are spending millions of dollars training these students uh, only for them to leave. So it's a big brain drain problem. Yeah. Hey, in terms of the economic impact, uh, there are numbers out there in terms of how much money is being spent uh, in particular states with incentives. How significant, how lucrative uh, is this industry? Well, let me put it another way. When we first started this venture in 2006 to try to get a tax credit here, there were only 12 states that gave tax credits. Because it is so, uh, e the economic impact is so great for so many states, um, more and more states have, have taken on these credits and now they're up to 38. The wow. biggest example or the prime example is Georgia. Um, in fiscal 2020 or 22 this year, over $4.4 billion have been spent by film production companies. And that really doesn't say at all because there is a spillover effect. The economic impact actually should be uh, by multiplied by five. Well, and I know Hoosiers, as an example, which you obviously know very well, it was filmed in New Richmond, Knightstown, Indianapolis, Brownsburg, Lebanon. So th this kind of impact can be spread not just through one community, but potentially uh, multiple communities. No, and, and that's one of the great things about Indiana. They have a great diversity in terms of the topography. Uh, they have the sand dunes of Lake Michigan. They have the rivers, the river towns. Uh, they, they have, you know, the big, big city, Indianapolis, uh, and the topography of the southern, southern Indiana's hilly where it's flat in northern Indiana. There, I mean, there were so many places that we wanted to shoot Hoosiers, and, uh, and we, were, we were limited somewhat by you know, the, the, the distance we had to travel from Indianapolis. But um, I have a film in mind that I would like to set it uh, almost to totally in southern Indiana uh, to to really, I mean, it's one of the most beautiful parts. Uh, people don't even know about it. And, and, and no film companies have really utilized how gorgeous like Brown County is. Yeah. 
Well, we'll look uh, look forward to following up on that story. And I know you're working on the uh, a, a film about the first Indianapolis 500. Lots going on in your world. I know you've been very passionate about this tax credit that uh, applications are being uh, accepted this week. Angelo Pizzo, thanks for joining us uh, from Bloomington, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you. All right. Well, in this week's IBJ, a look at the future of Indiana's footprint in the electronics industry. Why chicken is dominating the Indianapolis restaurant scene and checking out this year's group of 20 in their 20s. Emerging leaders making a big impact on communities at the start of their careers. You can check it all out at IBJ.com. Coming up next on our show, Notre Dame's role in potentially revolutionizing medicine, how university researchers are blazing a new path in the area of precision health and the potential impact on healthcare. It's time now to go inside innovation. New from Indiana University, IU Ventures is investing in a tech company founded by two alums who created a digital peer support platform. In tandem, uh, Health says the platform helps connect patients and caregivers to others who have experienced the same diagnoses. IU Ventures says In Tandem Health was one of only eight early stage healthcare companies selected for inclusion in the most recent Cedars Sinai Accelerator, a prestigious business accelerator program based in Los Angeles. In the business of health now, for the second straight year, the University of Notre Dame celebrating a record-breaking year of research funding, bringing in $22 million more than the previous fiscal year. Business of Health reporter Kylie Valletta is here now with more. Kylie. Thank you, Gary. During the fiscal year 2022, Notre Dame received $244 million in research award funding, surpassing the previous record set last year. Much of the funding relates to human health, and the university is adding muscle to its work in precision medicine, establishing the Berthoom Institute for Precision Health based on a $20 million gift. I chatted with Dr. Paul Bone earlier today, the director of the new institute, to learn more. Well, what it really reflects is an increased, dramatic increase in the scale and scope of research across the board, but specifically uh, research that's related to human health. And that's been important in a couple of different ways. One, in allowing us to go out and identify faculty who have research interests in areas that support each other so that we can build up uh, centers of competence and excellence. And at the same time, uh, it's given us the opportunity to develop new centers and institutes which can be focused on a particular part of the human health problem, such as our Berthoom Institute for Precision Health. Right, and I want to talk about that new institute established by a $20 million gift to Notre Dame. Explain, what is precision medicine and what is the mission of the new institute? Well, I think the simplest way that I could describe it to um, your viewers is to say it's the right treatment to the right person at the right time. And that sounds very simple. Um, and most people, when they hear that, they think naturally of genetic information coming from the Human Genome Project, which was finished 20 years ago. And what we know now is that the genetic information is really just the barest outline of what we need to know to really bring these kinds of uh, modern cutting edge tools to impact people's health. So uh, the way I like to, to uh, liken it is to having a blueprint for a house and you may have a blueprint and you build two houses, but when families move in and they decorate and they get painting, um, they look completely different. 
even though they started with the same blueprint. And our bodies do much the same with the genetic code. And so what we're trying to do at the Berthoom Institute is to develop those tools that would allow us to look beyond the genetic code to what actually happens when our cells translate that uh, into the um, uh, various molecular components that determine our health. And let's talk about this from a business perspective. A big focus of this institute is to provide the building blocks for startups. Explain that effort taking place there at the institute. Well, I think we would all agree that um, in order to have impact, it's got to move out of the laboratory and out of the library and into people's lives, whether that be at a hospital bedside or perhaps in someone's home. And so in order to do that, it's really critical to have entrepreneurs and uh, a whole community of people who are helping uh, translate those discoveries from the laboratory uh, into form factors that can really be used by uh, people in their own lives. And, uh, you know, I think we're familiar with some of these things. We're familiar with uh, glucose monitors, for example, which have been available for some time now. And the things that we would like to begin to develop will require that we tr uh, train our students in a different way. They'll have to be trained beyond the laboratory in thinking about ways that they can move their developments um, into the broader public. Dr. Bone, thanks for being on the show today and congratu congratulations again on the funding. My pleasure and thanks so much. In addition to the economic impact, Notre Dame wants the funding and the Institute to be a force for good. Gary, back to you. All right, Kylie, thank you. Well, up next, we head to Fountain Square in Indianapolis, where Around Indiana reporter Mary Rachel Redmond goes one-on-one -on -one with the star of HGTV's hit show, Good Bones, the latest business venture from Mina Starziak-Hawk, when we come back. Investing in Indianapolis, one home at a time. Since opening their company, Two Chicks and a Hammer, in 2007, Karen Elaine and Mina Starziak-Hawk, stars of HGTV's hit series Good Bones, have renovated over 100 houses in central Indiana. The beloved mother-daughter duo of Karen E. Lane and Mina Starziak-Hawk, they've become nothing short of HGTV royalty since their home renovation show Good Bones hit the airwaves in 2016, putting Indianapolis in the national spotlight. Let's uh, go now to Indy's Fountain Square neighborhood where around Indiana reporter Mary Rachel Redmond has details on Mina's latest business venture, Mary Rachel. That's right. Mina has a new spinoff series of her own, and it's bigger, bolder, and even more of a gamble than any home renovation she's ever attempted. And the title says it all. Good bones, risky business. So that looked like a little bit of a jump for me outside, coming inside, but there's a reason for it. We can't show you what's going on in here because it's still a work in progress, but who better to tell you about it than the DIY renovation queen, Mina Starziak-Hawk. All right, Mina, what kind of trouble have you gotten yourself into with so this much, place? So much, over a million dollars of trouble. Um, I uh, honestly, the way it all started, it was supposed to be a four month project, uh, took about 14. So everyone's very unhappy about that, but it's turning out amazing. Um, I saw this listing come up, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, and I just, I just have to have it. Terrible decision, terrible investment, um, but it's been um, an awesome project and I'm really, really close to getting towards the end. 
What's the difference from seven seasons of Good Bones? This is a little bit different than that. Definitely. Um, those projects, I would say the average investment is probably 300000 and the average square footage is probably twelve to 1400 Uh This project, the main house and the carriage house, I think are 6,700 square feet altogether. Just a way, way bigger project. So every problem is bigger. Um, every problem takes more time to solve and more money to solve. So it's been uh, a huge learning curve. This whole show is a little bit more invasive. It's very different. It's much more um, like cop style. So everything's on camera, whether I like it or not. This was a very emotionally tumultuous project. A lot of that gets edited out in Good Bones because there's not enough time. But I was in my car doing some driving shots and the, the bottom fell out and I needed a minute. And I was like, you get, I turned the camera off. I drove away. So I was outside of the range of the mic and lost it crying, yelling, calling my, I mean, everything. I probably blacked out and I was like, okay, okay. I can go back now and I pull up and there was a camera on my backseat that I totally forgot about. So it's all on camera, which is probably good. I mean, production was so happy with themselves, but um, it really is no holds bar for what they have access to. And although I am an executive producer and probably could have some say in how they edit it, I have great production company and it's going to be really cool when it when it is all put together. And you haven't seen this yet, right? I haven't. We don't get to see anything before it airs. You will learn it. I am. Um, honestly, though, after you know seven seasons of Good Bones airing, you kind of get used to you know the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. So hopefully, it's not any worse than what I've already seen myself do. Probably a little more cursing. Well, I will say you have tons of fans here in Indianapolis. And this uh, risky business, Good Bones Risky Business, will debut September 6th on HGTV and Discovery Plus. Mm -hmm. Nina, good luck Thank with you. everything. Thank I you. think that everybody's really going to enjoy this one. Back to you in the studio. All right, Mary Rachel, thank you. And Mina tells us also that this property is actually listed now on Airbnb. Well, elsewhere around Indiana, steel workers in northwest Indiana going to the bank, receiving bonus checks of up to $14,000 based on U.S. Steel's record $1.1 billion in second quarter earnings. Our partners of the Times of Northwest Indiana report workers at Gary Works and Midwest Plant in Portage will receive nearly $31 per qualifying hour in bonuses, all part of U.S. Steel's contract with its union. If you're looking for an affordable place to live, Niche.com says Indiana may be worth checking out. Fort Wayne tops this year's most affordable list with the lowest cost of living in America. Also on the list, South Bend at number four, Evansville at number seven, Indianapolis comes in at number 50. It's compiled from data from the U.S. Census Bureau. In this week's Eye on Education, we go to Southwest Indiana, where Vincent University has a plan to remedy the nursing shortage. The university will offer a new bachelor's degree program that will provide an accelerated path for licensed practical nurses to earn a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. The LPN and BSN program will be available starting this month. There could be a need for as many as 450,000 nurses this year alone. And that's all the time we have for this week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast. Remember, you can get the latest business news from every corner of the state at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Go out and make it a successful week.